welcome to another episode of the Haskin Cast podcast. I am your host, Scott Haskin, and I have an incredibly special guest doing an incredibly rare and amazing event coming up in just two weeks. Actually, it'll be less than two weeks from the day this airs. I have here with me the wonderful Laura Purcell. Laura, how are you? Good. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Well, thank you for coming on the show. I am so excited to talk to you about the the legacy of your father and this big event that you have coming up in Nashville on June 15th. Uh, Is it day, nighttime? What's the time of the show start? The show starts at 7.30, 7.30 p.m. We have uh, Charlie McCoy opening for us. He's the very famous uh, harmonica player member of the Grand Ole Opry, uh, an incredible musician, very, very famous around the country music arena. And I will be taking the stage at 8.30. Excellent. Are you excited and nervous and scared and just ready to blow up and do it right now? I, well, you know, I'm not, I'm not nervous because we did a show in LA at the Hard Rock Cafe. So that was sort of our warm up for this one. Okay. Um, so as long as I don't get sick or knock on wood, get laryngitis or some something tragic. Um, I, I think it's going to go very, very well. I, I do. And of course, I've got the last minute, you know, you get kind of kind of tense as it's winding up and you're thinking about, you know, the length of the show and what I'm going to talk about. Is it too much? Is it not enough? Um, that Those are the things that I'm stressing out a little bit about. Sure. Not the music. It's really how it's the timeline. Mm-hmm. We want to cover a lot of ground and I don't want people to start shifting in their seats, which I hope, I, I don't think they will. I don't think they will, but you know. I kind of feel like anybody that would show up for this event would be just very engaged the whole time. I mean, you get to a point where you you physically just have to move around a little bit. If it's hitting yeah. the two hour mark, you're going to exactly. shift in your seat a little. Yeah, and I'm, uh, very, I'm so attuned to it because as a singer, you know, you see everybody out there and I'm so sensitive to it. And I notice when people start <clears throat> you know, yeah, they just start moving around. Right. And I'm like, oh, okay, got to, got to, got to wind it up. Got to, got to get going. Absolutely. You know? Well, I'm going to give you a recommendation. Um, feel free to to take it or leave it. But if you have a Whole Foods in your area, or you can get this on Amazon, they yeah. sell uh, the the 365 company, Amazon's um, you know their product company. They have a wonderful high potency powdered vitamin C. And I live in Vegas and I go walk the strip at least once a week for the exercise and just to, you know, kind of get out of the house. As soon as I come home and all through COVID, I did this, never got it once. I just have a cup of the vitamin C, yeah, a quarter quarter teaspoon and uh, just some hot water. And um, there you go. It's a little bit bitter. That's fine. I guess that's better than emergency. I have a box of emergency. That's always a good backup. Yeah. But this is just, if you just, I mean, it's just high potency. I think it's a 1200 milligram, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Good idea. Thank you. Because yeah. I'm really kind of paranoid the last couple of weeks, you know, because sure. when I catch things going around, I catch it and I catch it bad and I don't. Right. Yeah. Well, and and you're interacting with people that you probably don't interact with on the norm, and you know they've got kids in school or whatever. I mean, oh, well, it never hurts. you should mention that I'm I'm a figure skating instructor. That's my no day kidding. job. Oh wow! No, I'm not kidding. I work for the Scott Hamilton Skating Academy, and oh. there are a lot of kids in the summer programs, and we have a camp coming up next week. And so I'm just thinking, okay, I need to keep my distance from people, not go in the locker room, just kind of. Put a 
an invisible shield around myself. Maybe I should wear a mask. I hate that, but it's so tip. Well, yeah, but you've got you're breathing heavy when you're skating, and yeah. even as an instructor, I'm sure you are. So it's kind of tough. But if you do yeah. the vitamin C, there's a good chance that that'll just kill anything that uh, that comes your way. Good to know. Good yeah. to know. I'm I mean, I, I touching uh, elevator buttons and escalator handrails with, you know, a hundred thousand other people that are visiting Vegas. So you don't think about it. I mean, since COVID, of course, we think about it a lot more, Yeah. but, but I, you know, all the time I'm, I'm with people interacting with people constantly, constantly. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I want to I want to circle back to the figure skating. I, I randomly just listened to an interview with Nancy Kerrigan last week, who oh, was on did? another podcast that I listened to. Yeah. Um, but let's get back to the concert. So let's, let's talk about First, the the content that we're looking at. I mean, we're going to be we're going to be hearing some hits. What are a couple of songs that you can that you can tease that we're going to hear? Oh my goodness! Well, we're going to be hearing the Patsy Cline hit, one of the very last songs that she recorded called "Sweet Dreams." Mm-hmm. Um, which beautiful did, song. Dad was on that recording in 1963, and she passed away exactly one month after that recording. Wow. Isn't that, I just realized that when I was doing some research, um, they recorded it on February 5th, 1963, and her plane went down on March 5th of that year. So dad rearranged the, um, the, the tune for me. And I said, at the time I said, we, we have to make it different. It needs to, um, I don't want to have the, the strings at the beginning or so that's Patsy Klein. I said, we have wow. to do something completely different. And mm-hmm. so he did. And we recorded that in 2019 when he was still with us. And that's one of the songs that we will be performing. That is going to be a treat, I can guarantee. Uh, well, you know, it's it's interesting. If you're doing a show and doing a cover of someone else's song, you could do that traditional performance if you wanted to, and that would be perfectly acceptable. But if you're going to record it, you kind of want to do a little something to make it your own. What's the point of just copying, duplicating what they oh, did, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And that and that is why I it took me years to even talk myself into singing that song because that is such a Patsy Cline song. And when you sing it, you really have to you have to send it. You just have to send it. You can't it can't be a, sweet dreams of you. It just it doesn't work. Yeah. You have to send it. It's it's a big song, and um, hopefully, when people hear it, they will hear the difference. I I can't even compare myself to Patsy Cline. She's only the best singer in the planet. You know? <laughs> but it's not. It's not. I don't think it's about comparing as much as it is just being, being someone who's delivering a beautiful performance of a Absolutely. song that she happened to do. Absolutely, it's it's a it's a song about losing somebody and not being able to shake the memory and having mm-hmm. sweet dreams about that person, even though they have rebuffed you and left you, you know, and that's, so that was what I was thinking when I recorded it. And, and, who, and who can't identify with that subject matter at some point or other in their life. Oh, yeah. yeah, that's right. You know? And I found too, that, that it doesn't even have to be about a person. It could be about an animal or a friendship or just something that was in your life that you loved a job and experience, you know, you can relate it to anything really. Absolutely. Absolutely. Those feelings are all, it, it, it's, they're just as strong, you know, mm-hmm. as an actor and as a singer, you can tap into any of those things. You could be talking about, you know, losing a, I don't know, a, an acquaintance, a friend, right. but, mm-hmm. but you can use that as a springboard to jump into those other, um, the, to the, that, that intensity of feeling, yes. which you need for this kind of a song. 
So you don't have to answer this because this might be a little too personal, but since you mentioned that, I'm kind of curious when you're about to sing a song like this, whether it's in the studio or live performance, do you find that you have to get in a headspace to do it? Or does the music kind of carry you into being where you need to be? Both. Mm. Absolutely both. I absolutely have a very specific person in mind when I sing that song and the music helps elevate those emotions. You let you just trust it. You just use that specific person and I will never say who it is. Sure. And uh, the music, the the, the arrangement just lifts all of that out of you and you just follow it. You just follow it. You Mm -hmm. don't, I don't, I don't have to go back to that original starting point. At that point I'm in and I follow the music. Does that make sense? Absolutely. It does. When, when I used to write songs about people and I don't so much anymore, but I found that was pretty much the case. I would just, in the beginning, you kind of have to run your mind through all those moments that get you. And and the more you're involved with it, the less you have to do that. You kind of just jump in because you get that, those triggers, right? Yeah, you do. And your brain has a, has a way of memorizing the circuit, the circuitry at all. It's all there for you. Right. It's all, it all falls into place. Now you've got quite a stage set up here. Who are we going to see as far as instrumentalists? Uh, who's supporting you? Oh, wow. Okay. Well, we have on guitar, we have Pat Bergeson, very, very well-known guitar player in town. Um, he's recorded with everybody. We have Jim Ferguson on bass, Bob Mater on drums. We have Jason Coleman on piano. He's filling my dad's shoes, which are some pretty big shoes to fill. Jason Coleman's grandfather was Floyd Kramer, the one and only Floyd Kramer. Wow. And Floyd and my dad, of course, knew each other very well Mm -hmm. and shared sessions. Dad was on uh, Sweet Dreams playing vibes and Floyd Kramer was on piano. Amazing. Yeah. So dad always felt like, you know, dad was not a native Nashvilleian. He came from California. Mm -hmm. So he felt like he was never part of the good old boy network. And Floyd Kramer got all the sessions. He got all the, you know, all the plum sessions. And when yeah. Floyd wasn't available, they'd call my dad for a while. And and dad was was uh, did not feel great about that. They'd say, you know, give us that Floyd lick. And he'd say, well, if you want Floyd, a Floyd lick, go hire Floyd. I'm out. Yeah. Well, and, and that's it. But it is hard to break into communities like that because there are, oh. they're very tight knit, very, Tell you're, me about you're in the family until you're not in the family until you're in the family. And once you're in the family, it's different. Boy, that's I a tough I, nut to crack. Dad always said that. And, you know, I always thought, you know, he's just exaggerating. Dad is really, you know, he just, poor me, you know, he, cause he, he was very successful, but yeah. he always felt like he wasn't accepted by, the establishment, partly because he was educated at Eastman School of Music in Rochester, New York. He had a doctorate. He was very, he could read, he, he, he like a monster. He could play any genre. He's classically trained. And he comes into Nashville with guys, a lot of whom could, could not read. And they had the number system, you know, right. that, yeah. um, for, uh, for writing and recording. And I think he probably had a little bit of a superiority complex. So I never really, I thought, well, I don't know how true that is. Well, after dad died and I was stuck in Nashville, uh, which is where I still am, by the way. uh, And I I love Nashville, but Nashville has changed. 
And I kept thinking doors are just going to open for me left and right because of who my dad was. People are going to just embrace me with open arms, especially the the, the jazz world. And boy, did I, I no, uh-uh. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. truly starting all over again. And that was a bitter pill to swallow. Um, but, so but in I, a way, I, isn't that kind of cool, though, because you get to prove yourself and earn this on your own? I have. Yes. Yes, I have. I've been sitting in at jazz jams. I've been going to the jam sessions. I've been networking and meeting people. And, you know, many of them do not know who my father was. And they're more, they're, wow, could you come back? Can I work with you? Can I write with you? Can I write for you? Mm-hmm. You know, so I feel kind of validated about that. But I thought at my age, it's just so hard to start over because I did all this in LA. And now I'm just start all over again. But at least yeah. now I know my stuff, right? Like that now sure. I, I'm pretty confident with what I know. I know what I know. So I just have to, I just have to meet people, you know, but it's not, they're not going to come knocking on your door. No, but I've never been to Nashville, but from what I understand, there is a lot of just live performance all the time and you can get in there and jump in. And and that's really how you're going to meet people is just by getting in and doing it. And people guard their gigs. They want their gigs. People who have regular gigs, you know, they're going to be, they've got their peep. They've got their peeps. They've got people that they work with. And, you know, it's, it's, I'm not going to say it's hard because there are a lot of venues and you can always create more venues. There are more opportunities for live music here than I ever had in LA. Sure. Yeah. It seems like everywhere else it's really kind of, you know, dwindling down to just a very few places. So many places are using DJs and automated music and and a lot of people don't want to go out, you know, They don't, but but that's not the case here. There's a lot when you land in the airport, they have live music. Yeah, it's it's one of the most musical towns in the entire world. It is, it is, and it's not just country. There's there's jazz, there's blues, rock everywhere. You know, it's it's you can't escape it. So that's why all the good guitar players are here. You throw a dime, you land on one. You know, right. Yeah. Amazing musicians. Well, I know and that's. Right. I, I know that's one of the things that Deep Purple loved about recording their last couple of albums there is because after they were done with their day, then they could just go out and hear all kinds of different, you know, live music. They were jumping in on jam sessions and, yes. you know, I mean, I can't imagine living there and just having a drink at a club and some, you know, megastar walks in and just starts playing casually with everyone else. That And I bet that happens a lot. It does. I was at a show for um, Beth Nielsen Chapman, the great songwriter yeah. at the Princeton Theater. And a friend of mine is her her daughter-in-law. Mm-hmm. We skate together. We mm-hmm. actually or figure skate together. And I went to this show and she took she t- stepped to the side and said, oh, I want to bring up my friend Rodney Crowell. And, Ooh, Rodney Crowell. And Rodney Crowell was sitting right in front of me. I didn't even know who he was. And he got up and joined her on stage. And I don't know if you know who Rodney Crowell is, but but he is a, a prolific songwriter. Just, I just adore, I love Rodney Crowell. I love his writing. I love, he was married to Roseanne Cash for a while. At New okay. He's been around forever. And But that's the kind of town it is. You just never know who's going to step up on that stage. Right. And I, and I would imagine just being in that atmosphere is so energizing as a musician, just that constant creativity and performance around you has has just got to keep you like up on a cloud the whole time. It is. And everybody wants to play. Everybody wants to sing. Everybody wants to play an instrument. I just joined a ukulele trio. Wow. 
Yes. That's different. We're pretty good. Mm-hmm. We two other women and we do three-part harmonies. And we've been playing at some senior centers and senior homes. And we're getting ready to do a, a little festival with three songs. And we're planning that. And um, I, it's just so fabulous to be able to rehearse once or twice a week with these gals and play our ukuleles and harmonize so beautifully and come up with obscure songs that people haven't heard in a long time. And it's, it's made me a better musician. It's Mm -hmm. helped me with my harmonizing my ear. It's great ear training. Mm -hmm. And it it sounds so hokey to say three ukuleles, but two of them are baritone ukes and mine is a tenor. And so we do have some depth of sound. It doesn't, Mm -hmm. they actually sound like guitars. The baritone ukes sounds like a guitar. So it's really um, three girls on strings. And it's just this, I don't think this would have happened in LA. I'm not bashing LA, but here we just want to make music. I think, yeah, I mean, it's LA is a little more, uh, I don't want to say focused because I don't want to say that Nashville is not focused, but they're usually a little bit more, this is what we do here. Well, yeah, it's, and, it's and, and film and yeah. yeah. I, I've got to ask you since you lived in LA and you play the ukulele, did you have you ever been to the NAM show? Oh, many times, yeah. So you've seen the like, every, like well, Hall E in the basement is like half ukuleles, and then there's usually yes. like a big wall or two in the main floor. Yes, and when I went, I, I that was when I first started playing the ukulele, so I wasn't totally mm-hmm. into it. But my 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 dear friend Jennifer Lightham, um, at has a she invented some kind of a bass ukulele and she was there performing and and Hmm. that was yeah she she's do you know jennifer lightham i don't she's incredible incredible um incredible musician and um anyway she was at the nam show and she was the star of that of that hall Mm -hmm. hall e or whatever it was called yeah and um wow the NAM show, that's like a whole city when you go down there. I, when people ask me what it's like, because I've been a few times and, and I, it's visual <laughs> and, and audio overload. It is overload. Yeah. It, it's, it's, it's it's enormous. It is. Even though I didn't get to go this year, but I went uh, last year. And uh, even the scaled down version was still a pretty, yes. pretty big event. I but, the last time I went was right before the pandemic happened, so it, mm-hmm. it was enormous. I think it was twenty nineteen. Yeah. It was the yeah. twenty nineteen show, and I went with um, my drummer Chris Ross mm-hmm. and our friend Stephen Blasick, and we we had a ball. We had a ball. We saw yeah. tons of great live acts, and it was mm-hmm. so much fun. I'd love to do that again. Yeah, it's it's a, it's definitely an event to experience. Uh, yeah. But let me ask you: when you, when you play an instrument versus when you're singing, do you approach music differently? Like I find if I'm playing a piano versus a drum set versus a bass guitar, I tend to feel the music differently in my writing. Does that happen to you as well? I don't know if I've ever really thought about that. Hmm. I don't know. Um, that's interesting. I, I Do I feel it differently? I'll have to think about that. Well, I'm really just thinking about coordinating everything because I'm not, you know, I'm not a, a fantastic piano player and I'm not a fantastic youth player, but I, I play both and I accompany myself on both and I've performed mm-hmm. with both. And um, I don't know. I think when I'm singing solo, I probably, I'm certainly putting more attention on my tone 
definitely paying more attention to my tone yeah. and not necessarily the message of the song, but I'm hearing, I, I'm, I have a critical ear about my, what I sound like. And I'm definitely trying to calibrate that. Whereas when you're playing an instrument, there's only so much information your brain can process. Yeah. So I'm really just thinking what, you know, the chord I'm playing and, and, and moving my body with the mm. instrument because right. I'm very physical. So when I'm playing the ukulele, there, it's definitely rhythmic and and my body is more into it. When I'm singing, it's just more, you know, sure. it out. Does that answer your question? That's it does, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I never thought about it till now. So when you're playing an instrument, you're using more of your body. Right. When you're singing, you're projecting it out. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if there's a difference to the listener, but that's how it that's how it feels to me. Yeah, I know. I, I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, I, I just like to ask that question because once I discovered I was doing that, it, it affects the way I write because I'm looking at a song through a different set of eyes depending on where I'm seated. Well, in terms of writing, absolutely. Yeah, yeah you're, you're thinking about your your chord progression and where the, where you know what the tonic is and what your your pre. Yeah, you're much more um, analytical for sure mm -hmm. when yeah. you're. And it's in, playing piano is totally different from ukulele, you know. That with oh piano, yeah, so many more options and ideas, and the piano intimidates me because I mean, my dad played that and he was incredible. <laughs> and I will never, ever catch up to his talent. I will never play like he did in five lifetimes. I could never play like he did. Well, did so he? Did, if I could just get through it, you know. Well, yeah. Did did he have lessons? Was he was he trained, or did he just kind of pick it up himself? Oh, he was trained his whole life. He left school. If he left home, he was born in Tulare, California, which is in the San Joaquin Valley. He left home at thirteen or fourteen. He was really young to to move away to study, and he went to Berkeley. He trained in Berkeley, and then he went to Eastman School of Music on scholarships. Wow. So he he was educated on scholarships. He had uh, Russian. Uh, Alexander Sklarevsky was his piano teacher, a very famous Russian uh, mentor. And um, he was a student of Madame Langy, who was a very famous theoretical, theoret musical theoretician. Mm -hmm. And you know, he was very, uh, very educated, extremely, and uh, loved that. He was very intellectual. So everything he did, he always had the the wheels turning and he was having a conversation with dad. It was, you couldn't follow him because he was constantly going off on all these different tangents because he had yeah. so many ideas. Yeah. You know? I, I've worked with people like that and it's a joy and it's frustrating at the same time because they'll start a sentence on one train of thought and then they'll move it to another train of thought and then another one. And it, it's, it's genius <laughs> because their brain is just, it's just constantly popping with ideas but they're hard to follow until oh, you learn to follow their threads. We would do interviews together, you know, to promote the CD before this one. And they would be mm -hmm. joint interviews. We got, we were on television once in LA on KCAL and dad started going off on one of his tangents. And I was like, Oh no, and I'm like trying to bring him <laughs> back. You know, I try to guide the conversation back to stay on topic. I don't want yeah. him to come to a commercial just yet. Dad's <laughs> right. <laughs> stay yeah. <on> topic. <laughs> So he, he had been playing for a long time. He played piano. He was a writer. You said he played vibraphone as well. Were there any other instruments that he was he was really yeah. focused on? He played organ. He was on uh, I Fall to Pieces. He played organ on that. With oh, wow. Yeah. Um, 
So organ, vi vibraphone, and piano. Um, that, but that, that's, that's a lot. And he yeah. played piano beginning at the age of three. And for any of you horror fans out there that are listening, and I know there are some that listen to this show, uh, I Fall to Pieces was featured heavily in the Ben Affleck horror movie Phantoms. It was kind of the uh, the song that the uh, the monster kept using to lure them places. Oh, that's hilarious! I did not know that. It's it, so it's the Patsy Cline, yeah, original that. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's yeah, it, it didn't sound like a remake to me. It sounded like the the original. It probably um, was. Yeah. Wow. Well, they paid a pretty penny for those those licensing fees. I, I, I don't doubt a chunk of the budget went to that. Yeah. <laughs> you know. That's that's a big that's a big ticket. Yes. <laughs> but I'm really excited. Are you going to be or or did you tape the first one for any potential uh, video release as well? We did. Yes. Good. I hired a videographer and um, I have the whole show and mm -hmm. he did a two camera setup and I thought he did a beautiful job and I'm trying to decide what to do with it. I think we need to edit some of it down for public consumption because there's a lot of, you know, dead space and yeah. uh, although he did a great job with the edit and I, I need about a th three or five minute uh, version that I can, you know, pitch to places because I, I would like to do this show again. Mm -hmm. if, if there's an audience for it and if people like the story and they want to celebrate my dad, I would be more than happy to do this show again. So uh -huh. I do have it on video and we are currently interviewing videographers to videotape the next one in Nashville. Oh, good. We don't have anybody pinned down yet. A lot of people are out on the road, um, but we will get somebody. And I would like to have both shows taped and maybe I could combine the two. Maybe I could, yeah. I mean, I have enough, honestly, with the footage that I have from our recording sessions, I could do a documentary. I could easily because and you should. Yeah. I had the wherewithal back in 2019 to hire a film guy to come in. And originally he was just going to take photos and I was like, hey, let's get some video. Cause you know, dad's getting up there and you never know. And he's got all these great stories. So yeah. he did. And I have it all. And then the videographer died. He wasn't a young guy, mm -hmm. um, but he was sick and I, I didn't realize it. I don't think he realized it. Mm -hmm. He died six months later. Mm. And thank goodness I got all the footage. He oh, you did. Tom okay, good. Tom King. He's such a nice man. I could not believe that. But anyway, I, I have all that footage and I could easily put together, you know, I just need somebody to help me edit all of it. There's no shortage of content for sure. Right. And I would imagine when you recorded the show, you did uh, the sound recording was through the board? Um, yes. Okay. Oh, yes. It was absolutely through the board. Um, yeah. And we're going to be adding more. You know, dad had a hit record in 1963 called Our Winter Love, an instrumental that peaked at number nine on the Billboard Hot 100. So we're going to be performing that, which mm -hmm. we did not do in LA. So there's some special things that people have not heard yet. It's going to be really, um, really fun. The thing I love about songs that he's worked on is that they're timeless. You know, I feel there's a lot of songs that just come and go. They're they're fad oriented. Um, they're just kind of a sign of the times. But there are songs that he was involved with, like I Fall to Pieces, that are just going to go on from generation forever. to generation and forever ring of fire johnny cash i mean that'll that'll be around forever yes did um, he did he realize the contribution that he's made to the world with his music no 
No. No, till the day he died, dad felt like he was not successful. Wow. Yeah, that's that's really um, a tragedy to me. And my mom said that years ago. She said, your father just feels like he's he's not successful. He's he he wanted so much more than he was able to get. But he was so revered and appreciated and loved. What is sad is he did not get a lot of that recognition until he had passed away. Right. So after he had passed away, all of a sudden, New York Times is knocking on my door. MSNBC wants an interview. And I'm thinking, where were you guys? Where were you three years ago when we finished our album together? It was called the very last dance hall left in LA. And, you know, we could, we, we did, we couldn't get arrested. We did one show. We did that one interview in LA when dad started talking and going off the rails a little bit, but that it, it never really, we didn't get much traction with it. Yeah. And when he died, all of a sudden, everybody's like, oh, Bill Purcell, he's gone. Oh my God. He's one of the seminal figures in music row history. He cre- he helped create the Nashville sound. Right. He he was the one who added all those strings to make all the those those country hits sound so big. He was he was there in the studio with Owen Bradley and Harold Bradley and Johnny Cash and Marty Robbins. He was on all of Marty Robbins' recordings. And I just it's a cruel irony that now people know who he is. And I have worked tirelessly to educate people on who he is, and people are now getting it. Right. And I wish half of that had come to him when he was alive. Well, thank you for doing that. I mean, it's, it's sad that, that he didn't get to see that. And I feel like that's a big pet peeve of mine because that happens with most artists that they don't get that understanding of, of the, the way that people appreciate what they've done until it's too late. It seems like we only care about people when they die or when they're going to court or, you know, when they're divorcing somebody and it's not a celebration of their art, it's a celebration of what's popular in the news today. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I, you know, I, it, 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 there's really, there's nothing we can do about it now except try to right that wrong, yeah. but he's no longer with us. Well, but, but for the people that are, and I, I encourage people all the time, send in emails, leave reviews, leave feedback, let people know, share art with people. I don't mean that give them away their art, buy it, but, but, you know, let people know, Hey, there's an artist I think you'd really like, or I think you'd really like this song. You know, that's what, that's what we need to do, but we need to let the artists know the impact that, that they've made. You know, and a few people would email dad over the years. He would have diehard fans who loved that our winter love the hit from 1963. Mm -hmm. And they would send him, these long letters about how it meant so much. And they met their love of the, the love of the, their lives. Listening to that song. I had my first yeah. kiss in the backseat of my car, listening to your record. And, you know, mm-hmm. and, and dad kind of took, you know, he kind of took it in stride, but he was always looking forward. He was always looking ahead. He was always thinking of the next big project. Right. And the, the last year he was alive, he was looking at a picture of the earth taken from space I've never told anybody this before. You're getting an exclusive. Yay. He was looking at this and he, and he showed it to me. He's like, Laura, look at this gorgeous picture of the earth from that, that was taken from outer space. He said, look how, look how beautiful it is. Look how beautiful our planet is. And so he wanted to write a tone poem or an orchestral piece called Earthrise. 
That was his title for it, Earthrise. And he jotted down some ideas and I have them somewhere here on his composition paper. And I don't know what he had in his head and I'll never know. Oh. That was his his next big project was Earthrise. And that's the thing with any passionate creative when it's our time, when it's up, there's always going to be something we were in the middle of that didn't get finished. And that's yeah. that's such a hard thing. But do you think this record? We were halfway through it when he when he died. Uh, yeah. Do you think though, had he gotten the feedback when when he was still alive, he would have accepted it? Because it sounds like he maybe <laughs> was too <laughs> modest. Yeah. <laughs> but I'll tell you, you know, the big thing never gonna be good enough. That's a really good point. But the big thing for me, like I don't care about meeting celebrities. I've said this on the show many times. What I care about is meeting people that have had an impact on me, whether it be just music I've enjoyed, music I've learned from, uh, yeah. an actor or you know anybody, a writer, just anybody who I've grown from their work. Yes. Um, I want to be able to meet and thank those people. And thanks to to that last NAM that you were at, actually, I got to do that with two people uh, that I hadn't met before. So that was a big one for me that year. Um, but I, I, that's more important to me. And I feel like just take, take 10 seconds and shoot somebody an email, write their publicist, write wh whoever the contact is on their website, tweet at them, you know, whatever oh, it is, important. reach out. Yeah, it's so important. You just had me flash. I flashed on somebody, a, an actress in LA who is, uh, she's well known in the soap world, um, but she's not a household name. Her name is Carolyn Hennessy. And I saw her in a show that she did at the Gary Marshall Theater in L.A., um, where she was playing the opera singer. Um, oh, oh, gosh. It was called Masterclass. Mm -hmm. Masterclass. It's a very well-known, really a, a one-woman show. And she was so amazing. I, I hate the word amazing because it doesn't mean anything. She was she was so inspiring and so such a force of nature. And I keep seeing her out at these events that Harlan puts together. And I, I've been meaning to go up to her and tell her how much that performance meant to me. And I haven't done it. And I need to make sure that I do that. Yeah. Even if I just reach out to her on Facebook and drop her a line and let her know. Oh, I'm you, sure Harlan can connect you. Oh, yeah. Well, she, we're friends on Facebook. You know, but I've never really just told her how incredible I think she is. Just this immense monstrous talent just monstrous you know yeah. I, I, oh, I i want that i want it that that's so inspiring i want to reach that depth to of communication with people i think maria we need Callis, to playing maria callis oh maria callis yeah playing oh, maria callis. she looks nothing legend. like maria callis but boy she channeled maria callis yeah. Well, I mean, with, with art, it's really about, some people need that visual connection, but it's really about making you feel like you're experiencing them as an artist. Oh, and she's not even a singer. She's, she doesn't sing. Didn't how, matter. How bold yeah. to go for a role like that. Yeah. You know, I mean, if, if someone came to me and said, uh, we want you to play Scott Hamilton, <laughs> I'd be like, you're out of your freaking mind. I mean, I, I pulled the groin muscle the first time I tried to ice skate. So it's. Well, you probably actually could play him. You'd have to have a, a stunt double to do the skating, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Th well, that's probably how it would have to work. Yeah. Uh, well, before, before we wrap up speaking of skating, I have to ask you, so you grew up in a very musical household, obviously. How yeah. did you 
How did you get into to figure skating? People ask me this all the time. Yeah. I think I was so intimidated by my father. He was just, his, he had a larger than life presence in yeah. the house. And um, I took piano lessons, but very quickly realized, I, oh, I, 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 can't, <laughs> you know, I can't do what he does. So I lost interest, tragically. I shouldn't have lost interest. I wish he had made me stick with it, but he didn't. And um, he signed me and my brother up for hockey lessons downtown Nashville, mm -hmm. just looking for something to do. And dad ended up sponsoring a hockey team. So I ended up playing hockey for this team. I was the only girl on the team. It was horrible. I was a disaster. They benched me all season. I hated it. Hated every minute. I didn't want to do it. I was more than happy to be benched. Mm -hmm. I did not want to play. And I, my mother promised me that if I stuck out that season, I could I could figure skate because I would see the girls come in with their pretty little dresses and I'd saw I'd see them gliding across the ice. And of course, I had seen Peggy Fleming and Dorothy Hamill. And I thought, that's what I want to be. And so it just life sort of led me that direction. And I started figure skating. Well, there's such an elegant beauty to it. You I know, it's it's so, it flows and it's just, it, it arcs and it circles and uh, it's just such a beautiful art that- and it's, it's a sport. It's it is. Very, and it is. I mean, it's really, the sport has progressed to the point now where, you know, people are doing quads, quadruple jumps to be competitive. Like that yeah. would never be in my world, but it, it's- <laughs> It's it's a physical endeavor, especially as an adult, and I still skate and I still compete. It's, well, I I I think about how how things always have to go next level all the time, right? Like you take somebody who started skiing and they started the bunny hill, and then they you know get on the moguls, and then they get on the like the junior lift, and all the way up to whatever the big one is, and then okay, I got to do something more extreme, and then they start going to these you know, like the Himalayas and doing these extreme skiing events. And like, it, at some point you kind of hit, not, no pun intended, but a peak of yes. how far you can go. And then you think about a sport like figure skating. Well, we have all the moves that we've known for years, but somebody at some point is going to come up with a new idea. And then everybody's got to do that. And then it's going to escalate. And then more people are going to get creative and it's going to snowball again. Right. Yeah. Well, that's, but that, that's what has to happen with, with any sport. It has to progress. If you look at old videos of Peggy Fleming in the Olympics, it's, it's, it's almost laughable. I mean, I, I could have skated like that back, you know, I mean, it wasn't, and I'm not denigrating Peggy Fleming, but that's where the sport was. Right. The, the sport hadn't, you know, th there's so much more technology now and, and techniques and, and uh, advanced training skills and toolboxes to use and now we we know how to get multiple rotations out of every jump you know and yeah. back then it was it was that wasn't the case but it had to move on sure. now i wonder you know and this is a whole other conversation probably but you know what do you what do you, what comes after quads quint quint what do you call them quint um well jump? five a uh, five would be a quintet right i mean i don't know if that's if so, i want to see that i don't know if i ever that is so hard on a person physically and on your hips and your joints. I don't know yeah. if they do that. 
Yeah, if they start saying things like, she stayed in the air for 45 seconds, we, we know things have gone too far. You've got Chris Angel out there levitating She's people. Yeah. She's spotted wings. <laughs> right. I mean, there there has it's to be like, but, but, but also the equipment has gotten better, which has allowed people to do things that they weren't able to do back in Peggy Fleming's oh, the day. skates, there's no comparison. The skates yeah. have so much more ankle support now. I look at the skates that I used to skate in when I was a teenager. Mm-hmm. How did I do that? How did I get axles in those? They were like slippers. They had no, no support. Mm-hmm. And I, did it. I, I don't know. It's, that's a really good point. But that's the scary a- thing is, and you're, you're an instructor. So think about now, and, I, and this is why I'm asking you, because you're an instructor, if I'm a five-year-old child and I want to get into figure skating, I feel like nowadays the expectation of what people can do is so high and it's kind of like this with a lot of a lot of different things now that you're walking into I'm not I'm not having to learn what Peggy Fleming did I'm having to learn what people are doing now as my at, basics yeah. to compete. You need to look at Nathan Chen, you need to look at user Hanyu, you need to look at the people at Jason Brown, you need to look at the people who are on top right now. Um yeah, and but when you say five years old, you know, I do teach several five-year-olds and at five really, you know, they don't, they don't really know what they want yet. So the main goal with a five-year-old is to keep them interested. You just want them to keep coming back. Mm -hmm. It needs to be a source of joy and happiness and fun and adventure, you know, and by right around six or seven, that's where things start to get organized physically. And you can tell who's serious and who's just going to, you know, play around. I just can, feel like there's a there's a stigma for a lot of people that are trying to get into different kinds of crafts. And I would imagine it would be the same in ice skating, where they're, they're looking and trying to perfect what professionals are doing. And they feel like they're expected to be held to those standards when they're really just kind of starting out. Or And, and I've seen people quit things because they can't be yeah. as good as like 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 somebody coming to a, a film composer who's doing their first or second film and going i want a han zimmer score and i'm <laughs> holding you to that level because that's where hollywood is even but though i'm paying you 150 dollars to do this score if you're not there on your journey then you can't you that's not gonna it, it's not realistic to think that that could even be a possibility i mean these things take years to develop yeah years and everybody has their own special stamp. I, I don't know how much you know about skating, but Jason Brown does not have quad, does not have a consistent quad jump, but he's on the world stage because he is such an incredible artist yeah. because he skates like nobody else. Mm-hmm. You know, that's his brand of awesomeness. So right. room for everybody, you know, you can, you can create your own niche, right? But right. it, you have to be willing to have patience and to work at it. It takes years, years and years and years. Yeah. You know, I just, I hate it when kids get discouraged or parents get discouraged. I, I, it's, it's a shame because we need, we need better skaters in the U S we need to be winning more world medals, you know? Right. Yeah. Well, we just need people loving art and sharing art with the world and yes. making the world a much better place because yes. we're more focused on art than we are all the politics and all the other things that just keep people upset and angry all the time. Absolutely. Um, art lasts after we do. We're, exactly. You know, yeah. we're t- my dad's gone. We're still talking about his art. We're still talking about his music and there's yeah. more to be found. There's more to be put out there. And yeah, you you're, know, you're just ramping up. 
<laughs> yeah, no, that's true. I like, I, I hope when I'm dead that people at least listen to my recordings and it touches them and moves some part of them. And then, you know, maybe it was worth my being here. You know, I made a little footprint. That's, the, that's exactly the way I feel about it. Yeah. I mean, certainly your dad, Bill Purcell did. There's no doubt about the impact that he's made, uh, whether people know he played on I Fall to Pieces or any of the <laughs> other songs or not, you know? I Right. Exactly. Exactly. So, folks, June 15th, Nashville. What's the uh, venue? It's called Third and Lindsley. It's a very famous club in Nashville. It's a it's a cool place. It's really cool. A lot of tourists go. Um, I would suggest getting tickets online mm -hmm. at the Third and Lindsley website. So it's the number three RD ampersand Lindsley, L-I-N-D-S-L-E-Y. Um, and it's located at third street and Lindsley on the corner and um tickets are 15 dollars. it's the wow. best 15 dollars you'll ever spend i think it's a really cheap ticket price yeah i would i was honestly expecting 60 to 75 dollars oh, for that no. wow that's amazing well if you want a vip table which has four seats that's a hundred dollars but that's four seats so that's 25 dollars a seat right and we yeah. have seven or eight of those left Wow. Okay. I'm going to have the link in the show notes for you guys so that you don't even have to search. It's just going to be right there for you. Uh, Laura, thank you so much for, for everything, for inspiring oh. young minds, for continuing your, your own journey as a musician, for helping uh, preserve and educate people on your dad's legacy. I mean, you've got so many things that you're doing. That's uh, that's a lot to juggle. I just never say no. There is something to that. To my detriment sometimes, but I never say no. No, well, I, I am wishing you, yes, <laughs> I am wishing you the absolute best on the 15th. That's in Nashville. So Mark Kamire, if you're not performing that night, you have, uh, you have something to do. Um, <laughs> thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate you taking some time. I'm sending all the positive vibes out to you guys for a fantastic evening. Oh, thank you so much. You bet. Come back and see us again. I would love to. I would love to. Just send me an invite and I'll be there. I would Excellent. love to I'll tell you all about the show and I'll tell you how it went. We'll do it for sure. Thank you, Laura. Thank you.